Geopolitics and Empire is joined by a returning guest, Dr. Piers Robinson. He is the co-director of the Organization for Propaganda Studies, convener of the Working Group on Syria Propaganda and Media, associated researcher with the Working Group on Propaganda and the 9-11 Global War on Terror, and former chair in politics at the University of Sheffield. It's been well over a year since we last spoke, Piers, and the world has become unrecognizable. Uh, how have you been? Uh I've been well. It's been a very difficult year, two years for everybody. Um, as you said, we're undergoing some pretty unprecedented political and economic processes. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm doing well. It's, it seems to be busier than ever, which is not surprising given um, what's happening with COVID-19. Um, but, but generally, I think, as with many, many other people, feeling, you know, personally quite a lot of the strain from what we're all going through. Um, these are difficult times for everybody. Um, so, yeah, but, but bearing up okay um, and positive. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, that interview we did in April of 2020 was titled, Is Coronavirus the New 9-11? And I think you were right uh, on the money. And I think that interview is seminal and has aged like fine red wine. And a few days later, I saw an image still of that interview featured in the Times uh, newspaper as part of a hit piece uh, on you talking about the usual blah, 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 conspiracy theories, blah. Uh, how did that feel? How did the Times attacker feel, you're asking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, at, at, I mean, there are a number of things to point out about the Times attack. As, as you say, uh, the Times, and it was Dominic Kennedy from the Times newspaper, was the uh, researcher in inverted commas uh, for the Times newspaper, who had, had attacked me and others previously on Syria. Um, and my suspicion, although I can't be absolutely sure, but my suspicion is that the attack on me um, was really underlying motivations were really to do with that broader Syria issue. And of course, we've been attacked by the Times before. I've been attacked repeatedly many times by the Huffington Post for my work on Syria. And I think it was seen as an opportunity to have another shot at me, but also to drag in David Miller, Professor David Miller, uh, because of the connection between the Organization for Propaganda Studies and its uh, AC.UK address, which was linked to the university. And I, I think they saw it as an avenue to actually get at David as well. And of course, as you probably know, David Miller has now been fired by the University of Bristol after a two-year sustained campaign against him um, by uh, pro is, is, uh, pro, um, pro is Israel government uh, elements, essentially. Um, so I think they were sort of, uh, you know, they had a number of targets in mind, but putting that all to one side, yes, I mean, at face value of the Times newspaper accused me of spreading conspiracy theorists associated, uh, conspiracy theories associated with COVID-19. Um, uh, I think I'd made some fairly tame uh, comments in the interview with you about Boyle's point about possible um, bioweapon and uh, where the virus came from. I had made comments which are reasonably uncontroversial today about um, uh, the virus being not entirely dissimilar to flu and a, a bad flu season. 
And I think they picked up on Vanessa Beely mentioning um, Bill Gates, which... <laughs> um, so at, at the time, yes, they were hitting us with the conspiracy charge. It caused some problems. Um, they were obviously going for the organization of propaganda studies, going for David Miller. Um, Noam Chomsky left the advisory board of the organization for propaganda studies. Um, wasn't entirely clear to me on, on what basis, um, but he seemed to obviously not be willing to ride any of the negative publicity. Um, and there were one or two other problems caused. And so it did cause some problems at, at the time. But um, since then, and as you pointed out, where we are now with COVID-19, it, it's, a, it's a little piece of vindication, really, that we were right over the target. We were correct. I was correct. And you were correct to raise the questions that we were raising uh, back at the start. Um, and many of the things which were we were being accused, you know, being conspiracy theorists about have become uh, accepted or it's become very, very clear. For example, you know, the thrust of my argument in the interview was that this event could be used, as 9-11 was, by powerful actors to pursue political and economic agendas. And that's exactly where we are now, two years in. So. Um, a bit unpleasant at the time, a bit bumpy at the time, but I think now looking back on it, it clearly, we were right to do what we did. And there were some others, obviously many others have spoken out from very early on. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, this sort of off Guardian and UK column in the UK, um, Paul Schreier um, in, in Germany, um, you know, there's a, a number of of people who were courageous and smart enough maybe or just switched on enough to realize that there was a problem with this and you know um there should be some credit given i think to uh people who did call it out early i mean off guardian would have been censored effectively um they're on twitter and on facebook but warnings come up whenever you retweet off guardian which is very unfair because they did that they, they they were right on the money over COVID-19 at the start, and they've suffered because of that. Um, but it should be acknowledged. Others, Whitney Webb, Corey Morningstar, I mean, there's lots and lots, I think, of, of people who were calling it out very early on um, in the sense of indicated by um, events that we see now. Yeah, I'd consider it a badge of honor. And, you know, for some reason, again, I've had an act for getting my guests uh, and myself featured in these hit pieces after my interviews, uh, apart from yourself. Um, Francis Boyle, who I interviewed, was featured in an Associated Press Atlantic Council uh, hit piece. And I think not long ago, Robin Minotti, the Italian uh, producer architect, was mentioning in his telegram that British pr press were using things, uh, I think he said in my interview with him, uh, against him. And just uh, this week, I was contacted by Dutch national media, a, a reporter who wanted to use a still from one of my past interviews from like two years ago, uh, because they're preparing a hit piece uh, on uh, the guest that I interviewed uh, there. So, I mean, these pro propagandist journalists and government controlled media, in my opinion, I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty pathetic. Uh, I mean, do you think it's working anymore? What, what they're doing, um, you know, as an expert on pro propaganda, do you have uh, any comment uh, on this uh, strategy that, that they're using? Um, I, it's, it's, it's very, this is one of the interesting things about COVID is, is that I, the, the quick short answer to your question is I don't think it is working particularly well for them. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen over the last year and a half, and this has been particularly interesting for me, is, is that 
Um, the kind of smears which people such as myself have been subjected to um, over 9-11 or Syria or, or any of those areas, and, and the kind of smears that you know, social scientists have often been subjected to who've asked very critical questions. You've actually seen with COVID-19 a, a whole raft of very high-profile natural scientists, um, Sunetra Gupta, Martin Kulldorff, Robert Malone, um, and, and so on, and uh, Bakhti here in Germany, um, who have been subjected to precisely the same crude smear hit pieces in order to try and silence them. And so I think the effect this has had is that a lot more people have become aware of how the system operates and how corrupt the system is. And by the same token, I think members, uh, many more members of the public sort of it's, it's one thing seeing somebody such as Professor David Miller talking about Israel-Palestine being attacked and smeared, or me talking about Syria and being attacked and smeared. But then when you see someone such as Robert Malone, inventor of part of the mRNA technology, which is used in the, in the current injection, seeing people like that being smeared, smeared people think, well, okay, this, 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 this seems um, there's something else going on here. Isn't justified, so I, I think you know that that has, has caused problems for this technique that they've been using, um, and I think overall, and it's very difficult to tell because you know we're not doing surveys on this, but my sense is that the numbers of people who are aware that there are very big problems in our countries, within our governments, and that there is very a very big problem with COVID-19, those numbers are much bigger. And I think the scale of protests and sustained protests across Western countries shows how many people realize something is, 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 is wrong. And so in that sense, even though they've become you know, this, this kind of, you know, tactic of smearing and discredit and, and, and direct crude censorship, you know, YouTube, Facebook pulling people off and so on. This ultimately has not stopped a very significant section of the population um, finding out or understanding what's going on and then being willing to go out and protest to organize and to mobilize. Um, so I don't think it's, it's going particularly well for them. Um, and I suppose the final thing I'd say on that is the more coercive they get with their censorship. I mean, and it is getting pretty brutal in terms of people being deplatformed, kicked off, and so on. Um, you know, the, the harder they push on that, the, the more they reveal their weakness in this. Because as, as somebody pointed out, and it might even have been Pete Hitchens possibly, but he said, well, well this is the first pandemic where we've needed you know, the media to be reminding people constantly that there's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the credibility of, of, of the official narrative, they're having to maintain it through pushing and, and propaganda, and they're having to crush people who are asking reasonable questions and dissenting. I think it's making the authorities, and I, and I use that term in, in a very wide sense, authorities in government, but also the World Health Organization and also the United Nations to an extent that they're involved with this. It's making these authority figures look, um, I think, increasingly weak to more and more people. So it's diminishing returns. Um, and, you know, I'm a pretty heavily smeared person and I've been for some time. I've lost count of the number of newspaper articles written attacking me. 
Um, but it hasn't, you know, stopped me from doing what I do, and it hasn't stopped me from from a lot of people listening to me or talking to me or even approaching me and, and saying, can you advise me on this or, or that and so on. So smearing people doesn't, yes, uh, I think it's a, a diminishing returns for them. Um, yeah. However, yeah. having said that, maybe they're going to pull out even more techniques and even more comprehensive ways of trying to shut people up. Um, and there is in Britain this new uh, online harm bill coming in. And I think, you know, you have a similar dynamic in the US with this um, domestic terrorism issue, which is, is that going to go down the road of getting control over people and what they do on the internet? So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But so far, I, I, I don't think it's, it's really working in their favor. Yeah, um, this, the, the censorship's getting bad. I'm having to now on the, my YouTube channel, uh, a number of um, interviews I'm having to uh, post elsewhere. And thankfully, people are slowly migrating off to the Rumble and, and Odyssey and, and, and BitChute and Brighteon. So I, I can't post fully anymore to to uh, YouTube. So then to get into, you know, the main dish, you know, to continue, continue the conversation on 9-11 2.0 or COVID-9-11 or COVID-1984 or whatever anyone wants to call it, you know, the Great Reset, I feel we are in a cosmic historical moment, like the 1930s again. Uh, there's, you know, we have collapsing economies, rising authoritarianism, fascism, communism, technocracy, eugenics, uh, segregation, concentration camps, right? Quarantine camps, rumors of wars. Truly fun times. There's a lot to unpack uh, from, you know, the pandemic, the the pandemic propaganda, the economic aspects related to the central bank digital currencies and so forth. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten more insights and a much better idea of what's going on over the past year and a half. Today, you tweeted that, quote, the COVID-19 event is a deception designed to fac facilitate undemocratic control and political economic transformation in the interests of the powerful, uh, end quote. So could you kind of give us your take on COVID-9-11 um, and what do you think is going on here? Yes. I mean, as I've said elsewhere, I think the initial sort of issues over propaganda and deception and COVID-19 revolved around, um, okay, um, are they being factual and objective about the, about the virus and how to deal with it? Or is there propaganda involved in that? in terms of, for example, exaggerating the, the threat of the, of the virus in order to encourage people to wear masks or to comply with lockdown. And uh, I, I think we're, we're long past the point at which um, we can confidently say that, yes, that there was um, propaganda associated with the virus. Um, you had the Spy B papers coming out in the UK early on, and that's the behavioural psychologists who advised the British government talking about the use of the media to increase fear levels in order to gain compliance with lockdown. You had similar material coming out in Germany with the panic papers, uh, information about 77th Brigade, the British military uh, info, info warriors um, being used to counter alleged um, misinformation in relation to COVID. And then the kind of censorship of academics that we were talking about before, all of those elements were coming together to mean that 
that the, the virus itself was being propagated, was being exaggerated, the threat was being exaggerated in order to get people to comply with what was going on. And so, in a, in, you know, there was, I think, you know, and, and there's enough material and work out there to show that I think that that's, that's pretty much the case. Uh, and that's deception in a way. You're deceiving people into thinking it's, it's more dangerous than, than it actually is. Um, now, that's one sort of element or level of propaganda. I think what is clear now and from the, the points you raised, you just raised before in, in the question, that what's become very clear a year and a half, coming up to two years into this, is that the comparison with 9-11, this idea that political and economic agendas are being pursued, I think that's very, very clear now, that at the, at the very at the bare minimum, uh, this is not primarily about the virus. This is COVID-19 is a propagandized event that's being used to usher in very major political and economic restructuring. And so there's a deception operating on that level now, in the sense that people are, are being are, are being encouraged to think about the virus and think this is all about the virus. And as that is happening, you then have these major changes being implemented. And that, to me, in terms of my own sort of experience and learning curves, has become very much clearer in, in, in the last five months. I think that there are many things that you can pick up on here, but and to be fair, many people picked up on a lot of this right at the beginning. It's just I think people like me were a bit more willing to give the benefit of the doubt for a bit and say, well, maybe they're just overreacting, they're panicking, there's groupthink and so on. And But now it's, it's just so clear that the kind of things people were accused of of being conspiracy theorists for when they spoke, spoke about digital currency, vaccine mandates, and so on. All of those things have come true now. But also, it, there's a clearer picture now um, in terms of, you know, if you look at the work of people such as uh, John Titus, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz, Professor Werner, Ernst Wolf, The Economists, um, and if you look at sort of the, the work that v, uh, Fabio Vigi, the professor from Cardiff, has been doing, um, that you clearly have the crisis in the finance markets in 2019 emerging. And you then have, okay, what is the solution to this, this, you know, this ultimate bubble bursting or about to burst? And the, the lockdown was seen, according to Fabio, as a way of trying to close down Main Street while they sorted out the finance markets. Um, but the other economists uh, are very clear, and there is a, almost a convergence of analysis coming from people such as Werner and, and Swolf. The, the direction this is going in is towards a central bank digital currency which gives total control over money and how people exchange and, and so on. Um, and the vaccine mandates are seen as a, a kind of a creating this moral imperative to get people onto a digital ID system, which is the stepping stone to the central bank digital currency, um, which, I mean, you know, without going into details, it essentially gives tremendous control and power um, to central banks and to governments, um, not only determining when and where you can purchase items, use money, also in terms of gathering of information about your behavior. And also, as many people have pointed out, the kind of notion of the Chinese social credit system. 
Um, and all of the, all of that kind of that economic dimension is all pushing in that direction, and it's crystal clear. And they're not doing it in secret. I mean, it, it's it's hiding in plain sight. They're open that this is what they want to do, um, and where they want to take us. And it takes us into a very undemocratic space. And and that's become very well documented and increasingly so. But also, I, I think these components of the COVID nineteen event in relation to the World Economic Forum. And the World Health Organization, and the role of big pharma in this, the role of big tech in all of this, and there's a very good book coming out by Keith Vanderpile in the next week or so, which starts to identify all of these drivers at the global level. Um, and he talks about the formation of, of, of a new class block, essentially, and he he identifies it as, as the intelligence, media, um, pharma. Uh, nexus or industrial complex um, drawing, obviously upon um, the military-industrial complex idea, but this 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 coming together of a constellation of, of major powerful actors um, who share a vision for the future, a solution to problems of the finance markets, but actually a much broader vision hooked around ideas of the fourth industrial revolution, which, of course, Corey Morningstar has, has been writing about for a long time, and I think Whitney Webber as well writes about this. Um, and you have essentially a, a political agenda there. Um, you have the core economic component of sorting out the finance markets. You know, after the last crash in 2008, they, you know, there, there was, it was put on a life support essentially. And then things were going wrong again come 2019. So that has to be sorted out. And at the same time, um, there's this kind of almost this trying to create this, uh, techno, this technocracy, um, this digitalized environment world where there's tremendous amount of control over us as individuals. Um, democracy isn't really functioning. It's a kind of neo-feudalism is a term that some people use. So I think, uh, I know I've been sort of jumping around a bit there, but all of those ideas expressed by, as far as I can tell, a growing number of, of intelligent and authoritative voices from quite different areas um, I mean, I think, you know, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at COVID-19 um, being profoundly exploited and used in order to um, bring these changes in. And and these changes aren't good changes. I mean, we, 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 it is about concentration of power. It is removing our autonomy. It, I can understand why people use terms such as tyranny and totalitarianism, because that, that is exactly what it looks like. If we're in an environment where our access to society is dependent upon receiving an injection on a half yearly basis, um, if government is able and central banks are able to determine how and when we spend money, if our behavior um, is punished, if our online behavior is, is, is effectively controlled and punished through, you know, you got on the wrong website, you've criticized government, that's the stuff of nightmares. Um, and that's what we seem to have. So I, I, I think, you know, this is the, all the comparisons with 9-11 were legitimate. And of course, the comparisons with 9-11 was this idea that 
Um, and of course, there's controversy about controversy about 9/11 itself, obviously, and, and the actors behind that. But if you just take it that it was an event which was then used to start all of the wars that we've seen for 20 years, um, certainly COVID-19 is, is is that kind of propaganda event, that kind of deep event that's being used, um, but also on a much much bigger scale, as, as some people keep saying, sort of it, it's 9/11 but on steroids. Um, and and that's what we're um, yeah that's all come to pass and and and, and you know maybe last thing I mean I, I you know I, I started speaking more fo- in a focused way about this kind of broader agenda in the summer because part of me is as well as being very busy on the OPCW issue um, you know part of me was hoping that oh come on this is, the wheels are going to come off this this is so obvious that that, that they're overplaying that their hand. Um, and I and I was hoping that sort of by early 2021, it would you know it would all be the dust would be settling. Um, but by the summer, and it became apparent. Blimey, they're not giving up. This is we're going to go back into lockdown. There's going to be the the vaccine mandates being implemented. People will be losing their jobs and so on. Um, and it's like right, okay, so this, this really time to stop giving any benefit of the doubt um, to them. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nuts. Like I was thinking the the same as you. I was kind of hoping the the wheels would fall off, but they've doubled and tripled down, and this train is moving full speed ahead. And it's like we can't be quiet anymore. We we can't worry about our our jobs and 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 you know um, these sorts of things because in the near future we won't you know we we won't be able uh, to survive. They're, they'll set up these systems where you know we'll be profiled as dissidents and. You're gone. Bye. Right. Your, your account is turned off. You're, you're fired from your job. Um, and I think I think you described the the gist of it, uh, the plot. That's pretty much it. You know, the the great reset, the metaverse, uh, trans uh, transhumanism, fourth industrial revolution. That's where they're taking us. And it seems this COVID has been a catalyst that they have planned for a long time. And this sort of change that they want to uh, do to the world is something that it seems like it comes once every millennia, you know, like a middle uh, middle ages type of thing, where where you know we move into the middle ages type of feudal system, and then we, then we we moved out of that, and it's like we're moving back into as you described it, this technocracy, this neo feudal um, system, and you, you kind of touched on. Do, do you think there's any? That's kind of like the main point. That's where they're taking us. Do you think there's any other side uh, issue that's involved with COVID? We have these. Um, you know, vaccines, and you, you've commented on this, and, and many of the people, you, credible people that you've cited have commented on this as well. There's this aspect of eugenics or or depopulation. You know, there's a lot of people dying from these uh, injections in the government's own, you know, VAERS databases. Uh, the, the adverse effects are unlike anything we've ever seen in, in, in the past. Um, do you think there's, apart from what you just described, the Great Reset, do you think there's any other, like, Sub uh, plot going on here. Well, I I, I tend to to work with uh, you know what 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 I can sort of I can observe and and, and establish through my own work or, or having read around enough or listened to enough people's and their analysis. Um, and I, I I think what what we know for sure is is this idea of this thing is being driven by agendas. It's not about a virus. It's it's 
it's, it's you have to be profoundly naive to think this is just about a, a, a public health crisis. This is clearly being used and manipulated. So, so that's definitely going on. You know, we've got a pretty good idea of the people pushing it because they push it in public. So you can, we, we, we have Bill Gates, we have the World Health Organization, and we know about all of the conflicts of interest. We know about the World Economic Forum. We know what they're trying to do. We know what the central banks, what, what where they want us to go and so on. So that's all pretty clear and substantiated. Now, what you're then raising is, 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 are there other elements to this? Um, and there is, of course, the question of, is this instigated? That is, is, it, is it a virus which has been taken advantage of? Or has there something even more nefarious? And as with 9-11, the question of, you know, was it Al-Qaeda or there are a number of states involved? And as I've said, you know, it's clearly the official story is untrue about 9-11 multiple states, which states were involved in, in, in 9-11 is the question to be asking now. And there's many people who go much further than that. Um, and, and that seems to be, you know, that there is obviously some very serious questions to be asked about where the virus came from. There are questions to be asked of Fauci and of Wuhan. Um, there are questions to be asked, for example, of Drosten, you know, the German um, scientist, uh, famous scientist who devised a PCR test. He started work on that um, apparently um, sort of apparently um, in a very short time frame before the World Health Organization adopted his PCR test analysis as a gold standard. And that was actually prior to it being submitted to a journal, which it was then apparently reviewed apparently in the space of 24 hours and published. Um, so there's, and then of course there's the event to a one issue, and then people have pointed out there's a much broader trajectory going on over the last 10, 15 years. You know, you, you've seen the redefinition of pandemic, and all of these questions which start to be asked about, well, okay, is there a bigger, deeper process going on here? And of course, the World Economic Forum and people have pointed out that the Global Leaders Program, I think it is, it, it's quite remarkable the number of people that we see in positions of power now who have been involved in that in some way. I, I saw that somebody was uh, gathering information yesterday about the number of academics in British universities who are members of the World Economic Forum. Um, and so all of that starts to raise the kind of questions you're raising. Is, is there much more deeper level, longer term elements to this? And I think that's that's important questions. And, and there's certainly evidence building on that front. Um, the question, I mean, I mean, people have pointed out the question of, of eugenics and a certain strand of thinking about um, what needs to be done for the population and the world or what they perceive needs to be done in relation to the global population. Um, and I know that some people have raised questions. I mean, there's clearly, you know, that there does seem to be, from what I'm hearing from scientists who look at it, this increasingly worrying sort of, information coming out about the harm caused by um, the vaccines which are being used, e even to the extent that I, mean, I, I watched an interview between Robert, with Robert Malone and Jimmy Dore from a, a couple of months back, and I, I was quite unsettled at, at quite how bluntly Malone was, was implying that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a bad idea giving this to everybody and it's going to cause more harm than good. And giving it to children just doesn't make any sense. And as a parent, I can, <laughs> can grasp that pretty quickly. Um, so I can understand you know, that there is this gathering concern and I can see from 
from credible scientists who are raising this about the dangers and about the harm it's causing. And then so you have those issues, um, which are fairly unsettling. But then you have the whole idea of the kind of collateral damage from lockdown, this idea that was made by from the more sort of mainstream critique early on from the great Barrington Declaration, Sinatra Gupta, this idea that, that lockdown, the collateral damage will just cause way more harm than the virus could ever do. And, and I think that's pretty clear that, that, that people, you know, this will have a profound effect on people's health because of the, 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 the psychological impact. But, you know, Toby Green's book on the impact of lockdown on the developing world, and I saw, saw an interesting interview with him on, or with Max Blumenthal today that was aired recently, and just he goes through this kind of this massive impact on developing economies of lockdown, and just, it's causing massive damage. And as we know, and as I think uh, um, Toby Green says, you know, hundred years of social science research, we know that you know, poverty and, and life expectancy and health are closely linked. Poverty goes up, health goes. So if you look at it in those terms, you know, th these policies are massively harmful uh, to populations and globally. Um, whether that is by design or not is something which I, I, I'm not in a position to comment on. I, I think it's plausible that, um, you know, that elements who do see these as, as ways of achieving nefarious ends, though there might be elements of those people somewhere in the mix. But I also think it's entirely plausible that, that you know, that a lot of these people are caught up in a highly propagandized environment where they come to think that what they're doing is for the good um, and, and for the greater good, and that's most of what you see. Um, but that wouldn't rule out, as, as your question implied, the possibility that there are people who actually see this in, in a much more Machiavellian way. And and I think you know this is one of the things. One of the problems of getting people to understand about state state crimes against democracy is this idea: well, the leaders would never do such an evil thing. They would never do so, and, and so on. And, and you know, well, well, okay, Tony Blair and George Bush, they, they would. Well, they were willing to start wars, okay, and they knew when they started wars. Iraq being the most the bluntest example of this, they knew when they started those wars that the the, the, the deaths would be at the very minimum tens of thousands and maybe much, much, much more. So leaders are capable of taking those decisions uh, for whatever reason um, and causing great harm. Um, you know, one could say anyone who's got any familiarity with history will realize that leaders and government can do terrible things. Um, so I think if, if you sort of bring in that component to it, that you know, this kind of the Machiavellian sort of Straussian sort of mindset, the, the idea that there is, you know, the very elitist idea that there's, you know, there's the masses, the plebs, <laughs> and then there's the ruling elite who have to take these tough decisions about the world and, and, and so on. Um, you could conceive that as the same kind of, you know, um, real political Machiavellian calculation which some leaders use to justify in their own minds going to war and and lead to the deaths of hundreds of thousands or millions of people um you know you can just transfer well that goes on in that realm maybe it's going on in this realm 
Um, and so it's naive to rule any of those things out. But, but I think realistically, you know, you, you're looking at a lot of people who are propagandized and co-opted into thinking that they're doing a great good. But isn't that always the way? Isn't, you know, I think you go back to Nazi Germany, you can see that people were thinking that what they were doing was the right thing to do. Um, but then there probably are some, you know, nefarious actors in there um, who who do who, who could potentially, I'm not saying that they, they are in this case, but who, who are capable of um, such actions and, and political decisions. Um, yeah, and I, I've, I've interviewed um, Lance DeHaven Smith, who coined the phrase state crimes uh, against democracy, and he, he does really good uh, work. And I just, I, I want to go back because this is kind of a, a question that's, I'm, I'm every day it comes up the, the, the psychology of, of the people around us. Like, like you mentioned, you were hoping, hoping by summer it would kind of burn out, but no, the governments have doubled down on this project, on this, uh, um, propaganda operations. And it seems the citizenry, uh, as well have, have doubled down, um, on believing the official narrative. I think the propaganda operations that are running against us are the most effective, powerful, sophisticated, and technologically advanced uh, ever in the history of mankind. Uh, people like ourselves, for whatever reason, we are discerning and, and we can see mostly right right through it. The majority of the population uh, does does not. But at some point, uh, as you were saying, like things begin, begin to become cartoonishly and comically obvious that something is not Right. Yet it's incredible that so many people absolutely refuse to reevaluate their positions uh, of what's going on. Uh, some of it, I guess, is, you know, Stockholm syndrome and a refusal to admit that they were wrong, uh, a refusal to alter their long held ideologies and, and worldview. Uh, yesterday, I interviewed a former Soviet military doctor who worked in biological weapons. He said that COVID 9 11 is a sophisticated military operation, uh, which is why it's so uh, effective and why people are falling for the propaganda, you know, uh, what's your take on how people are so hypnotized and, and how do we snap people uh, out of it? Well, I, I, I think that it, it is the case that it's been very effective and it is the case that it's very powerful. I, I, I accept that analysis. And if, if you look at the scale of activities, whether it's World Economic Forum training of leaders and, and so on, or whether it's the way the World Health Organization and the countries have been in, in lockstep in terms of implementing and kind of organization associated with that, as well as a straightforward messaging. This is a huge operation and in, in some senses, you say, very, very successful in terms of what they've been able to achieve so far. However, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not in a position to be absolutely sure, but, but my, my suspicion would be, or my guess would be that, that only a section of the population really believes all of this, that it's, it might be only 20% of people who completely have internalized the propaganda. Um, I think that you've then got, you obviously have a section of the population, I don't know, maybe 10 to 20% who clearly don't believe it, who are resisting it. And this is why you have protests and you have political parties forming and you have organizations setting up all around the world to pushing back against various aspects of COVID-19. And then I think you have a, a big section, 60% in the middle, who, who do suspect that something is is not right, or at least don't believe what the government's saying, but they haven't quite appreciated that there's, this is about something else. Um, so I actually think, in, in the absence of, of, of being able to get a hold of hard 
data, my reading, just my personal experience, but also my sense of other issues and also talking to other people who are involved in pushing back against COVID-19 is that there are an awful lot of people who, who really don't, don't buy into this. Um, and I think the question now is that does this kind of center ground of, of, of people who, you know, they wear a mask because they're told to wear a mask. They, they, they took an injection because they thought it would be a one-off and they wanted to go on holiday. Probably thinking twice now, it's becoming more apparent it's going to be every six months potentially. The, 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 those, pe- those are the people who I think, um, you know, might well start to realize much more solidly that this is not about a virus and this is where the weakness lies for them the people who are pushing this agenda if you know if if that section of population wakes up and the wheels can come off it i I actually think that the move to booster shots and also the targeting of children for injection for no I've seen I've seen no persuasive argument from any of these doctors pushing this that it should be given to children. And I've heard people such as Robert Malone and many other scientists who I do trust um, saying that it's absolute insanity. But those those are kind of red lines where I think that the propaganda, however powerful and effective, is going to start to struggle in people's minds because people are going to be thinking, well, do I want my children to be vaccinated? There's no obvious, and there's no no there's no obvious um, risk reduction in relation to COVID, and then there are harms associated with it. And of course, this is what exactly what we have at the moment is that you know there's, there's reports of in, in in Britain there was a report of two children died in a week in a British school. Don't know why that happened, but it's very unusual. Um, and 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 you know that there's increasing noise. I think coming up about the harm. Now that I think you know that could completely derail their propaganda narrative. Um, if if the tangible harm to, to to members of the public, and of course we've already had a lot of people. You know, sort of a BBC television journalist died for a 41 year old woman after taking uh, the injection. Uh, these things will build up. And it produces a stock of experience for people and, in a sense, real-world experience. Um, I mean, Jimmy Dore, of course, started to question the narrative well, after he'd taken the injection and he had all problems with his neck and, and, and so on, had to be treated. This builds up and I think you can potentially reach a point where that kind of stock of knowledge in enough people and of the harm being done that the authorities and their propaganda drive really starts to crumble. Um, it's a bit like the, you know, the bubble of a market burst, uh, a market bubble bursting. You don't know exactly what it is and at what point does it does the confidence go. Um, but what I would say is that um, I suspect that the, the harms which appear to be caused by um, the injection for a certain section of the population and especially when it's occurring to people who aren't at high risk from the virus as and, and so on, uh, that, that that will cause a lot of problems and maybe start to disrupt uh, those people in, in the middle ground who are just thinking, well, okay, this can um, you know, this will come to an end. I'll take one injection. I, I think it would wake that section of the population up. But I also think at the same time, the other thing I'm I I see is that people are much more aware that it's not so much about the virus, that there's other things going on. 
And, you know, in, in, partly this is because this thing has been going on so long now to people that some people are thinking, well, why are we still wearing masks or why are my children wearing masks in school? But when they're meeting for this, you know, environmental conference in Scotland, they're all walking around without masks on, you know, that, that kind of, you know, the incongruity of this it sort of builds up. And, and then I think, you know, you could have um, many more people rapidly realizing that this is a deception on many levels. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that that's just like my broad brush take on it, um, where we are. But it, it seems to me, I mean, the way you described it was that almost as though sort of people have completely co-opted into it. But clearly, not everybody is co-opted into it, and some people are becoming increasingly vocal. I mean, I mean, you know, Russell Brand. A huge following um, and in America as well. He's been speaking out quite clearly about certain aspects of COVID-19, um, but uh, and in a way which is he clearly realizes there's something else going on. Um, Jimmy Dore, this, this issue you raised at the start of the left, whereas the left and all of this, you know, more people on the left seem to be um, really asking tough questions. Uh, Jimmy Dore, Max Blumenthal, um, but also the sort of left academics. I've noticed one or two more of them starting to say, "Look, you know, look at the impact of say lockdown on the working class and so on." So I think all of those things are steadily building um, and make life more difficult for the um, authorities. Um, and, and there is, I mean, just very briefly, there is a kind of there, there is there was there's an intellectual grounding for this in in the form of, of Matthew Baum, who's, who's now at Harvard, but he talked about the elasticity of reality in relation to war and propaganda and media. He sort of said that when wars start, governments have control over the information environment and they can dominate the message. And reality is very elastic. You know, they can stretch reality. In, in, in the sense that I think he, you know, he, you, Iraq and WMD would be an example of that. But he argues that then as wars go on over a long period of time and, you know, the body bags come back, the stock of knowledge builds up, that actually the information dominance from authorities wanes and, and becomes weaker and weaker. Um, and one might take his, his, his model or his concept of the elasticity of reality and how it sort of um, decreases as the long after an event has occurred, um, apply it to COVID nineteen at the start. Everyone's panicking about the virus and and and, and not seeing wood for the trees. But then you know, two years later on, where it's no longer uh, that three weeks to flatten the curve has gone, and we're now oh, we're going back into lockdown, and you've got to wear masks, and, and by the way, you've also got to have an injection every six months, and then people experience harm, for example, death or injury, and um, from friends around them. Then I think you know it becomes much more difficult for the authorities to keep pushing the line. And then they're left with the option of, do you pull something else off <laughs> um, to replace um, uh, the COVID-19, um, which is a possibility, of course. Um, but I, I think for those reasons that you, know, you can see that may maybe things will come off the rails, however powerful they are and, and however you know coercive they've become because the, you know, the governments in Australia is a very good example of this, and Canada as well have become e extremely coercive and, and willing to use force 
and police and in Australia, the army, I think, have been deployed. Um, but, you know, that's diminishing returns as well. I mean, if if we get to a point where they're, they're having to push the police in the army out to get people to comply with various things, uh, you know, at what point do people in the army and the police say, I didn't sign up for this, um, this is wrong? Um, I don't think... Another way, I'll stop in a second, but another way of putting this, I, I, don't, I don't think that the people driving this, the central bankers, the, that top 1% elite, the World Economic Forum, the fourth industrial revolution, the metaverse, I don't think that this little bubble, this community of people actually have a very persuasive vision for the rest of us. I don't think we're all thinking, oh, yes, I want to get get those goggles on and join the metaverse and, and sit in the corner of my room. I, I you know, They don't have a constituency for this. Um, so I, I think they're going to struggle ultimately when people become more aware of what's going on. Um, I, I think there's, there's, there's no grand vision there. Uh, well, there is a grand vision, but it's, it's, it's a vision which is so, um, you know, it's the vision of it's the vision of people like Zuckerberg and Bill Gates. It's the vision of geeks. And I, I think they, they would like to ultimately replace the, the police, as you mentioned, law enforcement, with uh, <laughs> robo dogs. Uh, we've seen videos coming out now of these like uh, drones that can climb on walls and and drones. I've seen that can go underwater now, and it's 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 nuts nuts this technology that's that, that's coming out. So, um, and you kind of touched on what I was thinking. Um, the, we seem to be at, on an at an inflection point, like. As you said, this can wane, which we all kind of hope that it kind of dies down or it can just continue to get worse. Uh, in China, Australia and New Zealand, they're hauling people off to, I call them concentration camps. They call them quarantine camps. Uh, Austria, the home of Adolf Hitler, just announced they're going to lock the unvaccinated into their homes. Germany just this week uh, announced severe restrictions are coming for, I'll, uh, that's not what they said, I'll, I'll call it rats and the enemies of society that some other Spanish media have have labeled the unvaccinated. My, my personal opinion that um, feeling is that this isn't really like a joke, that this is not going to blow over. And usually in history, when the train starts rolling like this, a momentum is gathered, resources have been invested, the massive psychosis has been created, and there will be blood. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on whether at this inflection point we wane, as you said, or whether it's possible it could get a, a, a lot worse and we may see a repeat of the worst uh, parts of history that we saw in the 20th century? Well, I actually think you're absolutely right. And your point is, is kind of like sort of corrected my flow. I mean, what I was trying to say is that I think there's a lot of potential for this to unravel. However, this, this will only unravel if people actually take concerted action. And I do think that's happening. But this isn't, we're well beyond the territory of, of being able to hope our members of parliament or our media are going to save the day, that they're part of the problem. But grassroots um, formation of political movements, these are all things which uh, people need to actively engage in. And if people do these things, then I think, you know, this ability to start to erode the propaganda and to bring more people on the side 
um, can, can snowball and, and this can be derailed, but it requires action and it requires people to start doing things and to start taking a stand. Um, absolutely. I think the risk is clearly there, and I think you're correct to point it out, that, that when you see the language of, of segregation and demonization, as we actually recently saw in that interview with Noam Chomsky, between Noam Chomsky and Primo Radical, where he talked about segregation and, um, you know, sort of the unvaccinated can sort their own food out. When you see this kind of hatred being directed towards a section of the population, as you as you correctly point out, historically these things end in very very bad places, and we must be absolutely alert to that, um, and 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 so on. So, if can it get to that? Can it get to that point where um, police and the military are willing to implement? those policies against the population. Um, I, I just I just wonder whether their propaganda bubble is strong enough to, to carry through. I, I think that if, if, if it goes further down that line, A, I think the resistance becomes stronger. And you know, we're already sort of on the cusp, I think, of more generalized civil disobedience. So what you saw in the Black Civil Rights Movement, for example, um, and, you know, I, I heard, I think it was Max Blumenthal talking about possibilities of general strikes in America, I think. I, I, I could have read him wrong, but, but you know, there's a lot of pushback in America from the black community regarding the vaccine mandates and so on, um, as well as from the sort of the, 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 from the political right and so on. But all of those things, I think, are, 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 you know, are building potentially, you know, enough to, to, to stop so then the authorities have to become more forceful and I mean I mean I, I maybe this is a, a thing that's worth thinking through is, is it possible to conceive of, of you know military units and police units starting to you know cart people off to quarantine areas based upon this based upon this virus which um, you know it's I mean people must have a reasonable grasp of of, of how dangerous it is after a year and a half, because most people will know how many of their relatives have died from it or not, and how many people have had it and recovered or have had it themselves. And thinking, why are we doing, why am I sort of engaging in, in executing this policy in relation to this? Um, so I, I sort of, I, 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 mean, I could be naive, but I, I think unless they can get enough of these drone robots to do the work. Um, I think if they push harder, the resistance becomes stronger and more organized and more people join it. And I think that the people implementing this, who'd have to implement that, the police and the military, you'll start to see a lot of rumbling turbulence within that machine. Um, so I, I, I think, um, you know, we have to be alert to this and I don't want to downplay all of these dangers, but I, 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 I again, as, as I kind of said in, in many ways, even from the beginning that, that they've bitten off, they've bitten off an awful lot with this. Um, you've got a big global event, which is being exaggerated and, 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 and so on. Um, and there's a lot of transparency to that. People see this going on. People see event 201. People see 
the language being used. People see the goalposts being moved. And so, so, so you're struggling with that. And then you're suddenly switching into, um, you know, well, you have to be in, that's the other thing, that injecting. You're asking people if, if, the, if the vaccine mandate really is this stepping stone to digital ID and it's creating the moral imperative to get everybody onto a digital ID and so on. This is, this is incredibly invasive, asking people to be injected, not just once, but every five months. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, I think if they succeed um, in, in getting it much further, I, I'll be, um, well, I don't know. I, I, what can I say? I, I just think it's very, I, I think it's, it's very difficult for them to keep on pushing harder down this road without more resistance and without discrediting the the, the, the power structures even further. Um, however, having said all of that, you know, they have dug themselves into a corner with this, right? You know, that was my, my idea so I, when I was saying that I thought I'd give them the benefit of the doubt, but I also thought they're going to back down from this after the first because they're not going to win this one. Um, but they have doubled down on it. And now they're absolutely, I, I think, the entities who've been driving this are so exposed, you know, at least to 20% of the population who've woken up to this, but potentially to the rest of the population, that they, they, they haven't got many places to go. <laughs> Um, other than, you know, if this thing unravels, potentially, you know, people talk about Nuremberg too, don't they? And they talk about war crimes trials. Um, and, you know, I, I, it doesn't seem that we're a billion miles away from that. And when you see um, Ahern, you know, the New Zealand Prime Minister, and even Boris Johnson, you know, there seems to be a kind of a combination of incompetence, but also deep unease, <laughs> In the way that they're, they're, they're sort of, you know, issuing their commands and their orders and, and so on, and, and you do, you do think sort of, uh, how confident are they that that this this thing will keep going in the in in the direct in in their in their direction on this, and and how confident are they that they're not actually going to at some point be thrown under the bus by the kind of the, the background corporate elites and and and, and power sources in, 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 in the world um you know so but we'll we'll have to see but i i think it's you know <laughs> i wouldn't like to be in their position i think um, yeah yeah I, I would jokingly jokingly add you you were saying that if they keep going I don't think you'll be here or, or, or I will be here, but um, I, I think we, you, you kind of painted the, the broad brush, uh, the big picture. Uh, and I think, again, well, what, what you, your analysis, I think, aligns a lot with my analysis and, and many of us and, and many of the experts that, that, that you've cited. So like a lot of us across the world are, are coming to this conclusion, you know, more or less the, the main part, at least of what's uh, going on. Is there any other uh, thought or issue you want to get across on on COVID or the Great Reset or or, or anything else or final well, thought? Well, I suppose the final thought. I mean, again, and I, I was picking this up from reading Keith Case Van der Pyl's book, um, and you know, there is this question of, of of the geopolitics in all of this because 
you know, we've been talking about, um, you know, power centers, which can be loosely located around the West, you know, global organizations, which are heavily penetrated by the West. But then there's a the question of China and all of this and, and so on. And China's clearly had a role in this. <laughs> That's putting it politely or, or, or underplaying it. Um, and, and one also wonders how much, you know, cooperation and conflict there is between the great powers on this and how much that's evolving. So, you know, is it the case that there was a kind of agreement on a finance, a reset of the financial system? And that's something which, you know, China was, is on board with, with the West. And so there's cooperation at that level. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there won't be conflict on other levels. And so the idea of war and conflict you raised. Um, and yeah, I, I think you know the, the, the picture is sufficiently unclear to, to me, and I think probably to most of us, we're all just sort of just piecing these things together, is that, that, that there may well be these kind of tensions between the great powers in, in this period that we're going through, um, which, you know, uh, which might play into the COVID-19 or, or might take away from that. Um, but I think that's the, other, that's the other side to this. And this is the other point that Case makes in his book is that a lot of this is to do with control. And, and I, I buy that idea that there's definitely a deep state element to COVID-19 where, um, you know, the military industrial complex or expand that out, but th th those entities see COVID-19 as a way of controlling populations within the West uh, and so on. So I, I think, you know, that's, that's something to keep an eye on. This is not just a WEF. Um, there's also that element playing in, and there's the China and the relations with China and, and the sort of global political situation. Um, all, you know, I'm sure some people will argue they've got a clear idea of exactly what's going on, but, you know, to me, these are all things which we're still to really get a clear sense of, of, of how that's working and, and so on in, in all of this. Even as, as, as you say, you know, the, the picture's kind of like, clearer now and i think you know i think it's fair to say that there is this convergence of opinions and analysis I and mean, there's a really good book out by ian davis which seems to dovetail with what case has written in his book and i think that those books seem to effectively expand and build upon sort of more mainstream academic work by people like such as toby green for example um, and so on, talking about the impact of lockdown, that all these things, you know, is kind of pulling together of, of intelligent analysis and well substantiated, um, which means that yeah, we, we, we have a we we have a much clearer idea of what's happening, where we're going, and also who our primary, <laughs> who we're up against in all of this, who, who's pushing these agendas. Um, yeah, the, so. the the point you brought up uh, about China is is one that um, I'm always asking, bringing up in, in these interviews, and I'm tending to think that the, the great powers are kind of what you said. They're all on board the the U American deep state and, and and China and Russia because we can see all of them implementing a lot of these technocratic uh, policies in their countries as we speak. But I always think of history again, like World War One, where a lot of the empires uh, were related, right? The kings and the queens, uh, you know, the Russian Empire, the, the, the British and, and, and the other royalty, yet they all ended up going uh, to war with each other. And I, I think we it's possible, again, we could see, even though a lot of the elites uh, in these different countries are on board, we could see, as you said, that they might clash on certain issues and we could see war, uh, military conflict. Again, who knows? Um, 
your uh if you don't have any any other final thought your website is piercerobinson.wordpress.com and people can find you for now on twitter and and facebook uh is there any other website or, or a project uh, for us to know about well, well i mean the organization for propaganda studies has got a website the 911 working group has got a website they're all linked to my twitter handle and also the syria working group and then there's my wordpress site which is just really just listing the stuff that i do and so on um so all of those sites but you can see them if you go on to twitter you can see there are links there um or people not on twitter facebook page all of that is there um or you can put my name in and then you'll get lots of nasty newspapers articles written by chris york and dominic kennedy <laughs> Yeah, some of them. Think, thanks, thanks to me. No, I'll include all of the links uh, in the in the description, yeah. uh, so everyone can find them in the description. So everyone, be sure to follow Dr. Robinson on on Twitter uh, and Facebook and his website. Maybe soon you'll need to open a, a Telegram channel. Uh, Piers, uh, courage is contagious. Keep up the good fight, uh, and thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire again. Okay, it's good. Good to talk to you again. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. YouTube has deleted some of our videos, and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page, and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else, subscribe to all our platforms, and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.